welcome to the FE Research Podcast with Joe and Alistair, a podcast that aims to shine a light on the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. At times, for some young people, they sought to find meaning from their experiences. Jo Fletcher Saxon and I'm here with well, my partner in crime Alistair Smith. Say hello Alistair. Hello Alistair. Yeah, no. <laughs> and we're here with Dr Vicky Butterby who's joining us today to tell us all about um, the research that was the basis of her PhD which she completed um, well just a year ago. Okay so um, hi Vicky do you want to actually just say um, maybe who you are a bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. Hi, um, Joe. Hi, Alistair. Thank you so much for um, inviting me on. Um, I'm very excited to be here. Um, so, yes, so I finished, as Joe said, I finished my um, PhD research just over a year ago. Um, and um, since finishing my research, I work with Claire Collins Consultancy on lots of different projects um, involving teacher training, um, research, um, particular passions around sort of developing inclusive teaching and learning practices um, supporting um, learners so that's, yeah. that's what I'm doing right now okay and we and we met well probably we met online first didn't we but then we met in real life when you came to an FE research meet and um, to talk about your research with marginalized young people yeah which was great to have you there and actually what was really interesting on the day I thought was um, Everybody else stood up at the front, but you were kind of stuck in the audience and that uh, you stood up where you were to say a little bit about what you were going to do a workshop on. And I think you were worried that people wouldn't come. But then the room ended up being quite the room was quite crowded for you. I thought of the day there were lots of people there. Yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant, actually. And, and just, yeah. And I, I funnily enough, I touch on this a little bit when when we come to think about some of the key messages and the learning, because what's been wonderful about that is it's, it's really extended and my thinking around how the, the, the research that I did with young people might, might be extended in different directions as well. Um, yeah. and, and going to the research meet was a really big part of that and connecting with teachers, um, working with different students. So, um, so yes, it was great. I'm really yeah. happy um, coincidence that. Right. Well, I mean, in many ways, that's kind of one of our ambitions for the podcast is it's not only sort of collecting and curating uh, voices in the world of FE research, but it's another means of making connections. So it was great to hear, actually. So do you want to start then by telling us um, maybe the title of your research and how it came about? If you can remember that many years ago <laughs> when you started, um, you know, how it came about. Yeah, sure. I know. And it does feel like so much time has gone um, and it's just been, been a fantastic journey since. Um, but my, uh, my research, it's got quite a grand title. It was, um, the title was Nothing to Lose, A Constructed Grounded Theory of Loss in the Lives of Young People Who Offend. And, and how this came about, how this research came about was like this. So I was working as a teacher in a community youth justice setting and I became really struck by young people's accounts of loss. So the losses that they experienced and that they shared with me from just a snippet at the bus stop to a full blown sort of disclosure and account, they really varied and they took loads of different forms from, from bereavement. So losses we might 
typically think of it, um, to loss of educational opportunity, loss of secure housing, loss of agency. Um, and, and it really got me thinking because whilst links between say exposure to adversity and offending have been explored a lot, and whilst links between educational marginality and offending have been explored and researched quite a lot, understanding how loss affects young people and in particular hearing young people's accounts from their own perspectives and then critically what we can do as practitioners to help and support young people experiencing loss really hasn't been widely explored and that's what my research really sought to do that's why um, this came about. Right okay thank you Thank. thanks for that introduction I'm going to ask you probably a bit later about because it's such a sensitive area how you ensured um, that they were kind of safe and that the, the, the people you spoke to came to no harm but mm -hmm. um, so for my next question do you, do you want to perhaps outline what did you hope to kind of achieve because I think everybody sets out almost wanting to change the world when they when they start with BHD but did you have a clear sense of right well through doing this research this is what I want to achieve and what was that? Yeah, definitely. And and I think one of the things that I, if I learn anything from doing a PhD is that you start big with these huge ideas and then you're narrowing your focus, narrowing your focus to get a real depth of understanding. Um, and that was certainly the case for me as I, as I went on this journey. But there were things that I wanted to understand and I wanted to understand them because they felt important in the context where I was working. So as, as I said, I was working as a teacher in youth justice. And I really wanted to understand um, how we could support young people, uh, especially marginalised young people who are experiencing loss and, and ideally prevent them from entering into the youth justice system in the first place. And there was this poster on the wall where I used to work and um, it was really old and like peeling off at the edges, but it had this sentence on it and it really resonated with me. It said, if you do what you always do, you'll get what you always get. And I really wanted us to think differently as a service and to think differently about the education we were providing for young people and, and to think about how, how we might support young people so that, so that actually the first place um, where someone was listening to their story wasn't in a youth offending office. So that, that's what I wanted to do. I really wanted to understand whether young people's experiences of loss and their offending behaviours were intertwined or incidental. And so I spent time with different groups of people, um, all of whom I think you could describe as marginalised. Um, some of these young people had been involved in the youth offending service, but other young people had no history of offending whatsoever. And that was really important because I wanted to explore whether there were common themes or forms of loss that were affecting young people who did and didn't engage in offending. It was really, really important. I worked with young people um, from both of those uh, those kind of situations. Okay. Which isn't Sorry. Go on. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's not always straightforward because they're quite a transient group. So you have young people who move into youth justice systems and then out again same as we have young people sometimes moving into education and out again so so that was it that was where I, I sort of came from I, I was also really interested in exploring how art and storytelling might be used in research and in our practice 
um, as ways of helping young people make meaning from their experiences. Um, and that was really important that the research was young person centred. Um, so I wanted to help them to tell their stories in their own ways. Okay, so I, I think, but well now then, could you perhaps come that question I mentioned before, um, because I know obviously you spoke to lots of young people. How did you ensure when you're carrying out a piece of research that, you know, you weren't going to do any harm by talking about issues of loss, particularly with the, with the cohort in your sample, if you like, that had experienced loss? Yeah, this was absolutely crucial, really, really important. And I did this in lots of different ways. So um, yet still at times found found this, um, I described it in my research as walking an ethical tightrope. You know, there were decisions that were made on a daily basis and reviewed all the time about, about how we safeguarded and looked after the young people who, who were so bravely telling their, you know, telling their stories and sharing their experiences. Um, I went through quite a rigorous ethical process um, through the university I was working with, um, but also I spent a lot of time with youth justice practitioners and with teachers at the study programme, with youth workers, um, collaborating. Um, I would explain what I wanted to do or what I was hoping to do with young people and they would share their ideas and that joint input was really, really important. Um, also, um, it was it was very, very important that young people were informed and, and that they could choose to what extent they wanted to participate. If they didn't want to participate, it was absolutely fine. Um, things were on their terms. It's their stories that they were sharing. So it was just continually reviewed. It wasn't a case of, oh, I've done my ethical bit and now I'm going to carry on with the research. The ethics was was absolutely central um, to the whole process um, and and again the building of relationships too you, you cannot do this type of work as a snatch and grab approach it just doesn't it doesn't work that way it you have to build relationships you have to invest the time and you have to hold those stories with the respect and care that that they deserve Again, I'm just thinking of other questions just as you're talking, but I'm going to stick to the one I'd originally planned, um, which is I just wanted to get a sense of how you were actually carried carried out your research. Then you know who was involved and 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 what your approach was. Yeah, thanks. So I I, I worked with a lot of people. Um, I spent I was so fortunate. And one of the lovely things about doing a PhD is you get to spend a lot of time in the field as it's called um, and so I, I spent a good year and a half focusing on this. I, I worked with about 60 young people in total over that period, some more intensely than others, but I also worked with about 30 practitioners um, from education, from youth justice, um, from health. Um, and as, as I mentioned before, I worked with them in lots of different settings. So youth offending teams, community arts programmes, study programmes and specialist youth clubs. Um, and it was really important to, to work with young people who were and weren't involved in offending because that helped me understand how the experiences that they, how, how their stories and their experiences affected sort of the trajectories that they'd taken. Um, and the paths that they, they were on in their lives. Um, how I did it, uh, hence the tie going back to the title of my research, was I used something called constructed grounded theory. 
And this was an approach developed by someone called Kathy Sharmas in America. And um, what constructive grounded theory does is it, it really emphasizes the importance of context. Um, so what you learn directly applies to the young people or to the situation that you're working in. And what you learn while you're doing your research shapes the path that it takes. So you don't go in with this kind of very clear planned, I can't deviate from it idea about what you're doing. What you learn shapes what you, the next steps that you take. And also I use lots of art and storytelling as well um, with a sort of learning from a wonderful woman called Maggie O'Neill who's really shaped that practice in research about how we can use time spent with people and art and storytelling to so, so were they were the were the participants, the young people producing the art and the story? Oh yeah, that right, okay. Yeah, it was really fascinating actually, um, Joe, because again, this idea of what you learn shapes what you do. Um so young people were producing um a range of artworks, stories, um various things. But I also found as I carried on with my research that I started producing artworks and stories to make sense of what what I was discovering so art and creative work became integral to to the research on two levels there so helping young people to share their stories but also helping me to make sense and make meaning yeah. from them so it wasn't just artifacts and images it was also part of the processing of the, the things you were gathering yeah, that's right, Joe. Yes, so that was actually way more important than the finished piece of work. So there were some wonderful finished pieces of work, but the key thing was the process of making them. And did did any of those actually appear in your thesis? Are they there? Yeah, they, they, are, they are. Yeah. So um, my 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 thesis has got lots of. It cost a fortune, probably for the printers. Sorry, university. Um, but um, but yeah, it's got lots of pictures um, and lots of images, and and um, we we created um, a lot a lot of different works, and that was really important to put into into the writing because it was so important in the research. Yeah. So okay, so you you've been out there. There's just a mass of people there. You're gathering stories, and not just the the narrative, but also the products and the and all that. That's really complex amount of stuff isn't it it's not just a bunch of um surveys that's that's huge so and i know remember i remember you saying something about at one point all that data it felt overwhelming when you came to you know to have to actually analyze that data so um can you tell us a bit about that what do you do as a researcher then when you've got such a mass of rich information where do you even begin yeah, definitely. And there were points where it was overwhelming because, as you say, there was just so much stuff. And I was thinking, well, how will I make sense of it? And I've heard other practitioners say the same things as well when they've been doing their research. I've got all this stuff, but how do I make sense of it? Um, so I used a process which grounded theory um, It's used in grounded theory called constant comparison. And, and that's where you're looking at um, different things that may be produced in different ways. So you might look at a piece of art next to a conversation, next to your observations. And from there, you're looking for common themes. So I had everything laid out. And as you can imagine, um, my, um, my our spare bedroom at home became this crazy labyrinth of post-it notes, pictures, clay models um, that young people have been making, um, all lined up, to, sort of lined out together. 
and um, from that I started to see patterns emerging so it's called thematic analysis where you take a lot of data and look for themes um, and that's how I help make sense of, of all of the things okay have you got your uh, spare room back now <laughs> yes the, the spare room's back but it's you know I love research so there's always something up there you know <laughs> okay well uh, thanks for explaining that process because I think I think it's helpful um, to, to people to, to just just be able to picture in their minds a bit about what that might maybe look like or feel like as a researcher. I'm going to hand over to Alistair now who's, who's got a few questions really about you know moving on to the findings and the messages that you might want to share but I'll hand over to Alistair. Yeah okay um, so I know that you mentioned the grounded theory and, and the constant comparison is kind of really important to the work you were doing but was there any other kind of key literature that informed your sort of thinking and development along the way? Yeah, there was. And I think what was wonderful really about the, the work that I did was that it fell between the cracks in, in, in terms of literature and, and where to go. And, and so I ended up going all over the place to find, to find literature um, that helped inform my thinking. So I ended up in the sociology department. Um, I ended up in education, in psychology, um, and even geography and creative arts. Um, so that kind of multi-dimensional aspect of the literature, um, I think it enriched um, what I was finding out. And I would encourage anyone to, who, who is researching to, to not think too narrowly in terms of literature, um, just to, to reach out um, the tendrils and explore um, something else, because um, it can really enrich what you're doing. Um, there were particular people that I was really um, informed by, so Nina Vaswani, for example, her work on young people and loss, Neil Thompson, Robert Neymar, their work, uh, it's really interesting, they're all practitioner researchers, um, all of them, one um, works in um, policy and youth work, one is a counsellor and one's a social worker, um, all of them emphasise the importance of young people-centred approaches, and how storytelling can provide um, space for making meaning from our experiences. And they were the people who really sort of their work really struck a chord with me. Yeah, okay. So if you um, if you kind of distill down all of the things that you did and then thinking about where, where your kind of work filled the, the gaps in the literature, what would you say your kind of key findings and key messages are from your research that, that you can share? Yeah, I think so. The key findings were that loss was pervasive in the lives of many young people who offend and and, and that loss took many forms um, from structural to personal um, and and they were really compounded um, for young people when they had speech language or communication difficulties plus um, a lack of support from a caring and trusted adult and I think that combination um, really um, at times for some young people they sought to find meaning from their experiences um, and, and, and became drawn into offending and I think there were four themes I was saying about that idea of thematic analysis and, and the four key themes that, that this work uncovered um, was young people's loss of childhood in particular their exposure to domestic violence and community violence um, as well as their unrecognised, often unrecognised and undocumented work as young carers. So many of the young people I was working with had um, caring responsibilities. Um, 
loss of opportunity was the second theme so in particular educational opportunity but also social marginality for our young people who are looked after loss of agency was another theme um, feeling really powerless and frustrated that they couldn't make decisions about their own lives and then the fourth theme um, was that this led to young people's search for connection which as i say in some instances um, young people found through becoming involved in offending. However, there were some clear stories of hope as well. And I think that's really important to emphasize. You know, I worked with young people who, um, who had become engaged in education. And what was really fascinating was talking with young people engaged in further education. And, um, and they often told these really hopeful stories about how this, this, um, their engagement in education was supporting them. Uh, one young person, she talked about three women um, from her college course and she said, one for hugs, one is so funny, one to be strict and to tell me how it is, these three women saved my life. And another young man, he said, um, the thing that had really supported him to move away from offending um, was his time on study programme and he said, a cup of tea and being treated like a human being meant the world to him. That's really interesting and, and actually kind of um, similar to comments that I've heard from students in the past as well um, that I've kind of encountered. Um, so I wonder if, if as you sort of take all of these things down, what your research really means for the young people and, and for those kind of students potentially in, in the FE sector and uh, the, the ones that are sort of transitioning to making those, those differences in their lives. Yeah, thanks Alistair. It's a great question and I think that's the crux of it all, is that what does this mean for our young people? And, and for me, I, I think it's about us developing loss-informed practices as, education, as, a, as educators and within our educational establishments. So things like allowing young people opportunity to tell and retell their stories, um, to develop a narrative, um, to facilitate close and sustainable relationships between young people and, and pro-social adults. The enablement of opportunity for young people to represent their experiences, perhaps through creative expression, so building in creative opportunities in, in our work as, as teachers. Um, skilling up in terms of trauma-informed practices. And we don't have to know it all, but we really need to be doing some knowledge exchange with our colleagues from health, with our colleagues from CAMS, with our colleagues from Youth Offending, so that we are sharing and we share our expertise as educators as well across with those services. And then, of course, access to emotional literacy, speech, language and communication development work for young people, um, good quality sense screening so that we can get support in young people who need it yeah that's really good so um how have you directly used kind of some of your findings in your work um and any areas that you can kind of influence and do you have any examples of that i think critically it's been about really really re-evaluating what person-centered teaching and learning means what creating an emotional climate um, where where learners can feel feel comfortable and supported um, to say how they're feeling, but also equipping learners with the language um, to say how they're feeling. So that idea of emotional literacy practice and 
and, and those skills, building in those speech, language and communication skills um, in that, that has been really important. Um, I was very fortunate as part of this work to then be able to share back with, with where the youth offending teams and the study program colleagues that I'd worked with um, to, to do a big knowledge exchange where I shared what I'd learned from young people and we worked together to create some loss informed practices and, and, and try and build that into the work that we were doing. Um, so I guess that's how it's um, affected and sort of changed, um, had impact um, so far, but, but still lots of work to do, Alistair, loads of work to do um, on this. Brilliant. Well, that's kind of the next question, really. That's the, the what next. What, what would you want to do, really? And uh, how should people kind of uh, get in touch if, if they want to be um, working with you or, or kind of finding out some more? Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. I'd be really keen um, for people to get in touch. I'd love to um, explore this further. Um, in particular, I mean, sort of reflecting on the research meet that I spoke at with, with you, Joe. Um, that ESOL teachers um, were the biggest audience um, at that at that session and it took me by surprise because I was expecting um, to see study program teachers um, perhaps um, sense specialists but it was ESOL teachers who came and they said I'm seeing so many parallels um, with with my with my students and I think that there's, there's definitely work to be done there collaborative work to be done there with ESOL um, specialists and with ESOL learners, um, looking at how we can support them, many of whom of course have experienced um, extreme forms of loss. Um, so I think that would be something that I'd really like to do next. I'm also making a practitioner's guide as well, um, which distills like mega long pages of PhD research into something that I hope is going to be really usable um, with lots of reflective questions and activities. Um, but also sharing young people's stories because what they have to share is powerful and important and we can all learn from from them that's excellent no that, that's really good thank you ever so much for that thank you um as you're talking i'm just um well obviously anybody listening to the podcast can't see this but we can see each other just to explain that and i'm just going to flash up this book here and it's a book by um, Philippa Perry, who's the partner of Grayson Perry, the artist. Not that I'm defining her by her partner there. I don't know why I said that. But anyway, um, so she's written a book, well, a while ago now, called How to Stay Sane. But that's the title. It's a provocative title, I think. But I just want to read um, the first um, bit of it, because it's really interesting what you're saying about stories. She's, and she's talking about successful therapy and of course education in itself can be therapeutic. She says, I've included this section on stories because a part of every successful therapy is about rewriting the narratives that define us, making new meanings and imagining different endings. In the same way, part of staying sane is knowing what our story is and rewriting it when we need to. I think that's great. Oh, that's great. And I, I just, so when you were talking about stories, I was just sort of screaming, yes, yes. Um, and I think you're right. I don't think, you know, we necessarily have a natural environment where people get that opportunity. So 
Uh, so thank you. I'm just diving in with that bit. Um, we've, we've come to the end now, um, Vicky. Um, so thank you so much. Gosh, we could talk for ages and listen for ages. Is there any last thing that you want to say that you've not had the opportunity to say? Um, just that we're, we're always learning. I, I'm, the PhD might be finished, but I always think this is a work in progress and I'm learning more and more. Um, the more people that I meet, the more learners that I connect with. Um, I'd love to hear um, others take on, on this and perhaps any of their experiences, things that they've been doing with learners that you've been doing with learners to support them, um, to share their stories, to develop really learner-centered um, inclusive practices in teaching and learning um, please do get in touch um, it'd be lovely um, lovely to hear from you okay thank, thank you and thank you so much and I'll, I'll just add that you have been running a kind of online version of practitioner research support haven't you so that's another way that people can connect with you to be part of those kind of digital communities that are there for researchers oh yes that's really good Joe. yes a nice club there for um, the PD North so you can follow PD North on Twitter um, we also have a blog um, where you can write um, you can write about research that you're doing um, and yes and we, we have an online group as well where um, practitioners are coming together from right across um, the FE sector to talk about research and to talk about what we're doing what our hopes are what our challenges what challenges we face um, it's an open group and anyone's very very welcome so just get into touch via Twitter um, PD North um, if you're interested and we'll get you booked up. That's great um, and we were doing that on Zoom before everyone was on Zoom. <laughs> we were. <laughs> <Word>. <laughs> well, the globe was on Zoom we were doing that yeah. Okay so <laughs> thank you very much I'm going to say goodbye um, and you two can just say goodbye before I press stop record. <laughs> goodbye no, everyone thanks. thanks for listening. Thanks very much, Vicky. That was great. Really interesting. And uh, I'm sure some of the listeners will be really interested in your work as well. Thank you very much. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye. Bye.